uh, the Caldwell's ministry in Lebanon, and we're going to give you a, a picture of that in terms of um, what they're up to. So our Advent offering this year, we're going to give to Remerge for their first phase of housing out at Whitefields, and we're going to give to the Caldwell's to sow into their ministry amongst uh, Syrian widows especially. And so they'll tell a little bit of story, but just to give you a little bit of background, um, Mary is a nurse, and they'll say this in the video, but she's been working in the refugee camps. Um, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know, it might be over a million or two million refugees from Syria into Lebanon. They live in tent camps in the Bekaa Valley, and Mary has been going out into these tent camps and doing medical ministry, and in the midst of it, really inviting the Holy Spirit to work through her. And what they've been doing, it's, it's the most amazing thing. They take these Muslim women who are hungry um, for Jesus, even though they wouldn't state it that way, and they teach them to pray in Jesus' name. That's it. They don't try to convince them to not be Muslims anymore or to leave their family, anything like that. They just say, hey, I just want you to know there's power in Jesus' name. He loves you, and if you pray in his name, things can change. And they have the most incredible, miraculous stories you've ever heard. Um, in existence. And so this has just been going on. So we want to sow into that, especially with the idea that um, the goal really is for these Syrian widows to go back to Syria and to take the gospel with them and really to replant the gospel in this country that's been so devastated by war. And I think it's just like Jesus to take a bunch of widows and say, here's the group I want to use to kind of restart my church in this place. Um, and it's fascinating because I just thought of it this week is that we've got a friend um, who's part of the Syrian Orthodox Church. It's Antiochian Orthodox, right? So it, it, it was started. And he, we were having dinner one time. He said, you know, it's crazy because he goes, you guys talk about church history and all this stuff, Protestants. He was like, he's like our, our Syrian Orthodox Church was planted by a woman who was led to Christ by Paul in AD 90. She started this monastery in Syria. So he's like, take that for like history you know I was like okay but it's like isn't that crazy that that church was started by a woman who's led by led to Christ by Paul and and so many others are going to get started now when these women go back to their country Um, and there's already women there who they emailed Mary and they said we need Bibles and so they literally they right now what they're doing these Syrian widows who have gone back already uh, they're in this uh, bombed out church and there's a table in the middle of the rubble with a Bible open and they go in there and they read the Bible and they worship and pray and uh, so incredible things are happening. So just one story, just to let you know a little bit of the fruit before we show the video. We got this email from Mary um, after uh, they came. She shared the story of, of Nala, who Nala is, is a, a woman who came to Christ, and uh, she's been ministering to women in the camp. She's been going on, like, missions trips inside of Syria by, or inside of Lebanon by herself to go visit different uh, uh, areas of women, and, and she was the one who went to the camp, if you remember, if you were here, she went uh, to another neighborhood, she was sharing the gospel with widows, and the, the men of the clan found out what she was doing, and they came out, her and her husband were in the car, they had, sorry, they had bought her a car, all the widows had, had put their money together, bought her a car so she could do these trips, so she could drive out into different neighborhoods and areas and share the gospel, and the men of the clan found out what she was doing, and they all came out Um, literally with guns and with baseball bats, and they surrounded her car, and they took her car. They stole it from her, and they threatened to kill her. They said, if you ever come back, we'll kill you. They sent her off, and she's devastated because her husband's family is basically like, you know, all this stuff, this bad stuff's happening because you believe in Jesus and not in Allah, right, not in Muhammad. Like, this is is what's happening. And so she's praying, and so the man who owned her building loved Nahala, and and so he went with his clan of men and went back up there and basically got the car back, but he said, they're going to tax you. You're going to owe that you owe them a thousand dollars. 
That's, that's the negotiation. I got your car back. You have it, but you have to pay them $1,000. And I mean, Drew and Mary are like, we don't have $1,000. So there's no way, like, she's going to find $1,000. And so um, at this point, her, his family's living with him, and they're just, like, persecuting them every day, just saying, like, this is happening because you believe in Jesus. All this is your fault to this woman. And so one day, they're just kind of travailing in prayer. And I mean, like, like she said they'd been praying for nine or ten hours. Like, I, and I just think sometimes we think we're, like, really praying for something. And we're like, was that nine or ten minutes? They're like, nine or ten hours before God just crying out, God, like, what, we need something. And they hear a knock at the door, and they send one of their daughters to go check the door. Somebody's there, and she's like, comes back. She's like, nobody's there. And they're like, this isn't like a prank neighborhood. People don't knock on your door and run off, right? Um, so she's like goes back and she notices there's a bag on their doorstep and she opens it up and there's $1,200 in it. And Drew and Mary are like, we're the only people who have access to any amount of money and we didn't give it. Literally is a miraculous, to this day they're like, we have no idea where that money came from. So she was able to go back to his family and say, not only did God pay the thousand, he gave us an extra 200 as well. So that story had this incredible ending and, and, and then we heard by email that um, the man who had stuck up for her came to faith in Jesus, like through this whole situation, came to faith. Um, but after he came to faith, some men in the clan who opposed him saw him on the street and stabbed him. He was hospitalized but ultimately died of his wounds. So this is a real story that's happened within the last five months there in, in the Caldwell's ministry. He's a father with four kids. Before dying, he told Nahala that she shouldn't feel bad because following Jesus was his choice and he was willing to die for him. Whew. They said, please pray for Nala, who is obviously carrying some deep pain as a result of this tragedy. Pray for the man's wife and children. The wife was initially angry at Nala, but now has softened and is studying the scriptures with some of the believers from Nala's network. She started this network of women who do Bible studies with Muslim women. And I just thought, like, what an incredible thing to sow into, right? For us to say, God, amongst all the blessings you've given us, we, we want to, like, let these ladies know that God sees them, he loves them. And that there's actually a reward for their ministry, for their sacrifice. So that's, that's like some real stuff that's happening in the last four or five months. And so I'm going to show a couple videos and then we'll, we'll kind of continue talking. But uh, in, in true Skyline fashion, I love like one of the videos is very professionally made. The other is just Mary. She's like, I'm just going to make a, like, you mean like they barely have internet. They can't get money out of the bank right now. It's crazy. Lebanon's nuts. And so I, I love that it's just Mary with, with like a phone, like doing a selfie video. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. So we got three little videos to show you. If you want to go ahead and roll those. In 2004, a group of friends took a short-term trip to Beirut, Lebanon. On that trip, we met people who had seen Jesus in their dreams, people who had been praying for a Bible. God began sowing a vision in our hearts, a vision of a movement of Jesus followers spreading from home to home. Over the course of 2009, five families were sent out to Amman, Jordan from Norman Community Church, clinging to the promise that God was going to do something historic in the Arab world in our generation. The first two years were spent in intensive Arabic study, cross-cultural learning, and prayer. Our five families were joined by a Dutch couple from our language school, and our first four team children were born. So by the time we moved to Lebanon in 2011 to begin our ministry, our tribe of 10 had grown to 16. Upon moving to Lebanon, God guided our team in unexpected ways. We connected with coaches who could help us understand what it meant to catalyze disciple-making movements. 
We were given work permits through an educational society that opens doors for us to minister to Lebanese youth. Within a year of our arrival, the Syrian crisis began to boil over into Lebanon, and we were able to jump into the middle of it, offering medical aid, education, and prayer. Over the eight years we've spent in Lebanon, God has sent five wonderful families and one intern to journey with our team for different seasons of pioneering, sowing, serving, persevering, and praying into this region before being called into other expressions and contexts of God's kingdom. Our current team consists of three families, six adults and eight kids. God has planted us in three distinct areas of influence or harvest fields. Here's what we're seeing God do currently. Field one, refugees. Since 2013, Mary has been organizing mobile medical clinics in the Bekaa Valley, where hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees live in makeshift tent settlements. These clinics offer basic medical care along with prayer in the name of Jesus. Through one of these clinics, our team met a woman named Nadia, with whom Melanie began meeting weekly to do Discovery Bible Studies, or DBSs. Nadia came to know and love Jesus through the scriptures, and has since become a catalyst for others to become disciples as well. Melanie also worked with Nadia to start sewing businesses that train and employ widows, many of whom have become believers as well. Currently, Nadia dreams of extending her network back into Syria, where already her relatives have begun discipling women. Mary also continues to coach Sarin, a Lebanese Christian who runs a clinic of her own in the Bekaa. In the last year, Serene has been starting DBSs with Syrians and has seen God answer her prayers for these refugees in miraculous ways. Currently, she is working with three Syrian refugees that lead a total of six different Bible studies. Field 2, Lebanese Students Upon moving to Lebanon, several of the men on the team began teaching high school classes at BBS, a Lebanese Christian school where over 90% of the student body are Muslims. Through the work at the school, our team has seen firsthand the deep spiritual hunger in Lebanese youth. Drew continues to teach at the school, where he is currently working with multiple groups of Muslim youth who are reading the scriptures and learning to follow Jesus. Ryan, after six years teaching at BBS, took a position teaching writing at the American University of Beirut, the most prestigious university in the region. He is currently piloting a life design course for the university through which he helps Lebanon's future leaders build lives of meaning and intentionality. Already he has seen God use this platform to open up life-changing spiritual discussions. Field 3. Laying Foundations for Movements Over the years, Andrew and Sarah have felt God affirming that their calling is to help lay foundations for movements. For Sarah, this means focusing on intercessory prayer for our team and for emerging movements around the Middle East and North Africa. For Andrew, this has meant developing discipleship resources that empower leaders and facilitate movements, particularly in a region where large numbers of people remain illiterate. Using MP3s and an app has made it possible for illiterate men and women to start and facilitate Discovery Bible Studies. His work makes the ministry of people like our friend Nadia possible. The app is being used across our region, and Andrew currently is working with locals and missionaries to adapt the app to additional language groups. That's us. As we continue to live one day at a time, trying to follow the path God leads us down, we remind ourselves that we're a part of a bigger story, a story God is weaving across the Arab world in our generation, a story that will echo throughout eternity. Thanks for being a part of it with us.
Hi Skyline, this is Mary Caldwell coming from the Baca. If you look behind me right here is the Syrian border. And this is a typical tent, this is one of our dear friends. Uh, and you can see that um, it's pretty primitive actually. Um, but I just, uh, we are so encouraged by what the Lord is doing among these refugees, that he is showing up in dreams, he's showing up in visions. When they lay hands and pray for each other, um, they see they see miracles, honestly. Um, and it's just been such a joy and an honor to continue to, um, to continue to work with them, to serve with them. They, they go, come to our clinics with us. They are training widows and how to sew. And um, so we are just, it's just such an honor to walk with them and to grow and help grow them in their faith. So the thing that we're most excited or the thing that we're feeling the most, um, the Holy Spirit really laying on us is how do we um, really help them resettle back into Syria, back into, and um, we think that the best way is to really equip them with some business skills that they can um, actually have work there. And so we're really looking at how we can uh, create a sustainable way to do that by giving them, buying them sewing machines and maybe putting a down payment on a, on a, on some land. So um, the love offering that you guys will come up with will help us to train them to make sure that we get them into small. We want to train them both as believers doing ch house churches and as um, women who can uh, run businesses and so that is what our hope is that is what our um, excitement is for and it's just kind of amazing that you guys are, are pouring into that so that we can actually be able to set that whole um, program up and, and or, or that whole uh, trajectory up in an even deeper way so thank you so much for um, your prayers and thank you for your support and your generosity Hello, this is uh, my friend, and she is one of the widows that we love to join and serve. And she is actually going back into Syria, and she's a trained seamstress that's amazing. And she is one of the ones that are going to be training widows in how to um, sew and be able to have their own livelihood. So, so I asked her, what's the thing we can be praying for her? And she said that I would be able to make it safely over the border and that um, God would bring her the right people that she could train and share Jesus with. And um, so we are just thankful that you guys are joining us, that you guys wanna um, give money to these amazing Syrians that are wanting to share Jesus, that are wanting to learn how to sew, wanting to, or she knows how to sew, but are training others in how to sew. And, um, and, and actually praying for one another and, and bringing hope and bringing um, understanding to people that are just desperate for hope and desperate for a new message of love and peace. So thank you for praying. Amen. Isn't that amazing? I, I just love this idea that God prepared Paul to go out into the world and make tents um, to share the gospel. And uh, what we're going to do is help train women to sow and to be self-sustaining so that they can go out into the world and share the, the, uh, the gospel. And it just struck me as I was watching this video this week and praying for the Caldwells that like, like she's like what a real life apostle looks like. 
right? Isn't that amazing? Like, like not in the showy sense, not in the like get on a stage and build this thing, but like the way Paul went into the world city by city, neighborhood by neighborhood, house by house, and shared the good news of Jesus and made disciples. And uh, so I'm so excited about that. So this morning, um, it's really fun because we celebrate the arrival of Jesus right in Advent on that first Christmas, but the scripture says that this isn't the only coming of Christ. We actually await his second coming as well. And I think if we're not careful, we tend to lose the urgency of that. We tend to lose the reality that Jesus didn't just come once into the world, but he's actually coming again. And in the book of Matthew says this, when the son of man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Here's Jesus, right, described in this passage. Um, the man who was born into a poor family, he went to no university, he owns nothing, he has no bank account, no resume or portfolio, no title or job or house or rank. A man who's about to be judged guilty uh, by the, and, uh, and not fit to live by the highest religious authorities and political tribunals of his time. And, and in this, he's saying that he's going to be coming again personally at the end of the world to determine the fate of all human beings who have ever been born. This man, Jesus, is about to go on trial for his life before the judges of the world. But according to the Gospels, before that happens, he tells his disciples that he is actually the judge and that all people of history will be gathered before him. It'll be the final ultimate, conclusive trial of the world, and the crucified one will actually be the judge. And if I can let you in on a secret, like, you're going to be there, <laughs> and I'm going to be there as well. Isn't that amazing? He'll no longer be a, a baby in a manger. He'll be surrounded with, like, all the unmistakable glory of majesty and dominion of who he actually is. He'll be attended by numberless legions of angels, the heavenly host. He'll sit on his throne of glory and at his feet, spread out before him will be history, like all of history in unimaginable completeness. Everything that has ever happened over the course of history will be laid out in front of Jesus as the judge. And, and, I, and I just think it's easy to kind of move past that, right, it's, and, and not let it, like, penetrate our consciousness or, or allow it to peak in us intellectual curiosity, right, right, rather than the overwhelming gravity and solemnity of that moment that Jesus is king, he is Lord, he's coming again. The whole world will be called to judgment before the throne of Christ. And, and, and I want you to hear that judgment is not condemnation, like, right? Like, judgment is, is actually what Jesus is coming to do. He didn't come to condemn the world. But Jesus will be the judge and no one else. I love it. It says that to him all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from him no secrets are hidden. The picture is given of him as a shepherd looking over his flock, dividing them in the way that Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says this, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and he goats. The sheep he will put on his right hand, and to them he speaks words of incomparable stupendous consequence. He says, come, O blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. is that amazing? From the foundations of the world, Jesus had prepared a kingdom from the, for those who have received him as king. The goats he will place at his left hand, of them he speaks terrible words, words that chill the heart. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and the angels. 
To the sheep on the right hand, he says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The response comes back, Lord, when did we do all these things? And the king shall answer them and say unto them, as much as you have done it unto the least of these, you have done unto me. Jesus basically turns the world upside down. And the fascinating thing for us today is that Jesus isn't setting up this false narrative of like a social gospel. If you just do all the right things and don't do any of the wrong things, you get the kingdom. If you just love the poor and serve the poor and give, you, you get everything. No, no, no. He's saying it's like this assumed thing that your love for the least and the last and the lost actually flows from your submission and abandonment to Jesus as Lord. Like your complete abandonment to him like hurls you into the world loving and serving and working on behalf of those he loves. Like that's what it is. It's not earning. It's actually like grateful response to who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So in this season, I, I thought about this as we talk about generosity, like that, that we ask year after year for you all to give generously, not out of compulsion, but from a cheerful and grateful heart, a heart that's been transformed by the gospel, by Jesus, by his love and mercy, by him demonstrating to the world his love in coming as like a frail and fragile baby, but also his death on the cross, which cancels our sin. And our generosity comes from like awe and wonder. Awe and wonder. So if you can think about that moment where Jesus comes to judge the world, he's on the throne, and you actually get to see him as he truly is, you would give him everything in that moment. The book of Revelation is just literally people upon people coming before him and casting their crowns at his feet because he is so beautiful and majestic and marvelous and loving that we just can't help but worship. And our worship expresses itself in giving. So in this gratitude, we rejoice that he alone is the Lord of our destinies. I love that statement. He alone is the Lord of all he cares so much, again, for the least and the last and the lost that he's willing to die for even such poor specimens as you and me. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Man, that he covers our unrighteousness with his righteousness, offering his life to save us from death. The judge gets judged in our place. So in the first coming, Jesus actually gives up his rightful authority as the judge to sit before a human judgment suffer and die and in the next one it's all going to be flipped but he did that for you he's compensated for our too short list of good deeds by his one great deed <laughs> in his one great deed he swallows up all of our trying and releases us from that work and now by his indwelling spirit he makes us into those who will someday hear the blessed words right oh come Blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I just always want to remind us that we give out of response, out of joyful response.